Hey everyone, welcome back to Where's Mephisto? This is part two of our discussion on Obi-Wan Kenobi episode six, but really the series as a whole and Star Wars as a whole uh, with our good friends, Chris and Angela. Uh, so enjoy. Following Obi-Wan's dropshift to Jabin's barren moon, Vader once again comes face to face with his former master. Obi-Wan ignites his lightsaber and repeats the same thing he told Anakin before their battle on Mustafar at the end of Revenge of the Sith. I will do what I must. Then you will die, Vader responds. They clash again. Hell yeah. Yeah. I, Badass. I, I remember thinking, like, <laughs> I was almost expecting him to say, you will try, like he did in Revenge of the Sith. I'm glad he didn't, though. Yeah. yeah. It would have been too, too, too cutesy. Too on, on, the, the, on the nose. Yeah. 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 I have said, though, that... I remember watching that scene, I will do what I must, you will try, and thinking that was the first time that Anakin Skywalker felt like Darth Vader to me. Because imagine that in James Earl Jones' voice, and that is absolutely a Darth Vader line. But not yeah. when he killed the kids? Well, that that just felt like an evil thing. <laughs> that line felt like Darth Vader. Okay, well, all right. It, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that I feel like this bridges the gap very well, because I always felt that Anakin and, and Darth Vader speak differently, not that they uh -huh. just have different voices well, they're both quippy though of course but <laughs> be careful not to choke on your aspirations director apology, apology accepted. accepted captain I, nina well, my my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite lines in all of star wars um you've read uh the vader down comics right i, I know you've yeah, read a lot yeah, yeah. yeah we have you surrounded the only thing i'm surrounded by is fear and dead, dead men, men. oh yeah vader's and, written so well in those comics them. yeah yeah they're all dead men yeah they're huh? all dead <laughs> yeah, but this is something where I feel like he is the you know the way he's speaking to Aunt, or to Vader. Oh my God! Oh, people, the way he's speaking to Peru. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm talking about Darth Vader, and I and I said the way he's speaking to himself twice. Uh -oh. The way he's speaking to Obi Wan sounds like Anakin from the prequels. That sounds like that is who is speaking. Yeah. However, obviously there is a lot of James Earl Jones dialogue also that feels like Darth Vader from the original trilogies. Mm -hmm. I feel like this does bridge the gap and just kind of the his tone, the, the words that he chooses, his syntax, that kind yeah. of thing. I'm really looking forward to the Disney Gallery episode that I assume we're going to be getting to find out exactly how they did Vader in this. Yeah. Because there's been a lot of speculation since the re-speecher company that did Luke voice on Mandalorian and Boba Fett is mm -hmm. credited. James Earl Jones is credited Hayden Christensen is also credited, and people have been wondering, did James Earl Jones actually come in and record new dialogue? Have they been able to actually alter Hayden Christensen's voice to sound like James Earl Jones? Because if that's what they did, they did an incredible job. It's very good. I, I keep thinking it's James Earl Jones, and they, they do a little bit of engineering to his performance. That's been my assumption. Although there are a few things that he said, it was like that... I can imagine that as a Hayden delivery, if that makes any sense. But there are other things he said that I was like, oh, that is a James Earl Jones delivery. Yeah. You know, so I really it, don't know. It sounds too good. That's yeah. the problem. Because yeah. Luke Skywalker didn't sound that great. Yeah, it, I agree. He kind of sounded like an AI bot, you know? Uh-huh. And you don't get this with James Earl. You, this comes across as James Earl Jones in his prime. Like, they, uh -huh. they took a time machine. Well, 
to 77 and they brought him back because he's 91 years old, by yeah. the way. Right. They could have done something similar to what they did like in Rebels with Vader where you kind of hear the voice actor from Anakin, uh-huh. but also like the James Earl Jones, Darth Vader kind of like yeah. mixed in with and that. And they definitely did that in the when the helmet's oh, broken, which is yeah. exactly what they did in that in that Rebels scene as well. They did it to great effect in both in Rebels was, and in it this. It was emotional in both. But like yeah. even before the helmet got half, you know, slashed off there were moments in this series and in this episode where when vader is especially riled mm-hmm. where it did sound like hayden was peeking through like they <laughs> I, I mixed wonder if it they blended them or something like that's what that's what i think they did personally that they like maybe had both guys record the same the line, line but then kind of like blended them somehow Mm -hmm. i'll eat my crow because we were talking before vader ever showed up in this series about because you had said oh they need to do what they did with luke i think or you said they should just recast at this point i think no i i thought they should do something different because yeah i think maybe i said get someone who could do a a james Earl jones impression and i I said nobody has sounded good enough because in rogue one he didn't sound that he didn't sound healthy like he sounded like an old man. Like his voice was starting to kind of leave him a bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was like he didn't have the lung capacity. It felt. I like. was wondering that too with this because I remember him sounding old in Rogue One. Yeah, to no fault of his, obviously. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, no, he's no. old. But in my opinion, though, it still sounded better than every Vader impersonator they have used in video games and stuff up to yeah, this point. Yeah. Somehow, there's something about it, and I don't know if it's just my affection for him or something, but somehow it. It still it's works better same. than yeah. than fake James Earl Joneses that they've gotten yep. for like like in Jedi Fallen Order, which is not bad. But you hear it and you're like, that's not quite right. It's like right. it's Darth Vader, but uh-huh. is it? But when it's James Earl Jones, like well, it's not quite right, but it still works for me. You know. <laughs> but this, like the first time you started speaking, I'm like, this is New Hope Empire Vader. Yeah, like, something about like he sounds like James Earl Jones in his prime. To the point where I was distracted for most of the episode until I saw his name in the credits. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm to that point. I'm very excited for the galaxy, galaxy, the gallery episode that, yeah. hopefully explains it. Yeah. Because I think it was our friend Brady who said, "Oh, they should just do what they did with Luke," and I said, "Oh, but Luke sounded terrible. Luke didn't sound very good." <laughs> I was like, "He's although you know, in fairness, like Luke talks kind of weird in Return of the Jedi." And I do think he sounded better in Boba Fett than he did in Mandalorian. I do think there was an improvement. He sounded weird in Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever they did, whether, you know, if James Earl Jones was involved, then, you know, keep him, you know, as long as you can. You you keep bringing him back whenever you're doing Vader. If they've somehow managed to synthesize a way to have Hayden Christensen sound like James Earl Jones, then keep congratulations. You've got Vader for the next 30, 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Reva arrives at Owen's farm in pursuit of Luke. A prepped in position, Owen and Brew fire blasters, which she deflects. Her usually neat braids, now loose and slightly disheveled, after being unceremoniously dismissed by Vader and stabbed by the Grand Inquisitor. Owen tries his best to hold her off, but he is no match against the injured Reva. Luke escapes and runs away, and the former Inquisitor chases the boy into the dunes. This is the scene that shows, like, how serious like Baru and Owen are about defending this boy mm. they do not hold back on Riva I mean they're farmers yeah and there are even as far back as you know A New Hope we know that there are farmers and there are such a thing called Tuscan Raiders and they're a menace mm-hmm. to civilizations like this 
And so, yeah, they would be armed and ready to go. Like, that does mm-hmm. make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At this point, though, they see the lightsaber come out. Like, at that point, you know they're willing to die. Yeah. Right that is true. Yeah. They believe in what they're doing. It's not just, okay, we'll take this kid because he's related to us. It's not like a Harry Potter situation. <laughs> it's like, seriously, it's like, we're going to do what we can because we know how important this yeah. is. And... We and care this much we, about we this, love boy. this boy. Yeah. How dare you compare Owen and Baru to uh, the Dursleys? It was a favorable comparison. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> and at the end of the day, the Dursleys didn't actually hate him. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> I think you need to read those books again. <laughs> Petunia might have had a couple, you know, moments of softness, but that's about it. I guess so. I've enjoyed Riva's arc up until this episode. Like, I know there's a lot of criticism over her character and her arc. I thought it was a really interesting story to tell of this is a youngling who was attacked by, you know, the newly minted Darth Vader uh, in the Jedi Temple, and she managed to escape, but she saw her friends get slaughtered. And then she played the long game and was like, all right, I'm going to get in on the inside, become an Inquisitor to eventually turn on Vader and, you know, destroy him. I thought that was really interesting. I wish we had gotten to that revelation a little sooner in the series. I feel like her getting to that was, like, really drawn out. You know, because I, again, overall really love this series, but one of my criticisms is I feel like her arc was a little slow to, like, get going. I thought we were going to get it more... Sorry, continue. uh, Well... And so I just, where I'm confused with this last episode is she's trying to get revenge, I guess, especially because, you know, the Grand Inquisitor leaves her on the ground, you know, where she's just been impaled and says something about, like, revenge is powerful enough to keep one alive or something like that. And then she sees the hologram and hears Senator Organa talking about the child on Tatooine and everything. And I guess I just don't understand what her revenge was because Vader doesn't know he has a kid on Tatooine. So destroying his kid doesn't really do anything to Vader. And I... Ah. you kind of just fucking the galaxy at that point. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, later when she comes back with Luke and um, she says, I couldn't do it. And she said, I failed them. Talking about like her fellow younglings, her friends. Like, how did you fail them? Like, what what on earth made you think that they would want you to go on and, like the guy who killed them, go kill little kids, force-sensitive kids across the galaxy? So I guess I just don't... That part didn't click with me. I know they wanted her storyline to parallel Vader's and to show how she ends up going down a different path and making a different decision in the end. And that's what makes her different from Vader. And I, I understand that choice. And I think it's a cool, you know, choice to make with the story with this series. I just didn't understand her going after Luke. Like, it just, I don't know. Anyone mm. else? No, I <laughs> no, agree I, with you. I also yeah. agree with you. Um, But I don't mind it because she is blinded by rage and revenge yeah. and the dark side. And it's it's well established in Star Wars that, like, the dark side clouds 
and it blinds you and they don't really think that clearly and we've seen vader not think clearly which is why obi-wan keeps on getting the best of him Mm. over and over and over again (laughs) uh because obi-wan uses that to his advantage because he is very clairvoyant he's wise and anakin is not it doesn't make any sense and i don't think she's like that's kind of i think where she is where like it doesn't make sense she's grasping onto the last thing she can think of is maybe she's gonna bring and and yet vader doesn't know that he has kids but like maybe she's going to bring his dead corpse to her and be to him be like boom you're looking for this (laughs) (laughs) and and just be like story (laughs) (laughs) and like knowing full well like she's gonna he'll kill me then but at least i got the better of him yeah i don't know like it doesn't really make that much sense but she wasn't thinking clearly and that's kind of where i am with that although i do agree with you that yeah it's not it's not a smart move it doesn't make a lot of sense because i was saying at the end of the last episode i'm like what's the purpose of her like hearing that message and like responding to it like is she gonna go kill this little boy that has nothing to do with what you're doing Mm -hmm. like I don't know. I, yeah, because you knew Vader couldn't find out about it. Yeah. So well, this is information that's only for her. It also seemed like part of her plan was to kill Leia for the same reason. Except she didn't even know the importance of Leia. It was just, oh, um, Obi-Wan was friends with this girl's dad. So oh, fuck, I guess you're right. She yeah. was just using yeah. Leia to get to Obi-Wan. It's she just didn't really... a she didn't care weird coincidence with the Force yeah. that she happened to capture the one child in the galaxy uh, one, one out of two, two children yeah. <laughs> uh, in the galaxy the one that was not that he was not actively watching that he would be like i need to go do this i guess <laughs> this show suffers from you know as, and i loved this show very very high on the uh the list for me but it suffers from the disney plus villain problem uh which i think we've seen enough now to know that it's actually a thing mm. it's happened in almost every almost every marvel show uh some shows have pulled it off better than others um i think wandavision is like the rare one that's done it right where you don't reveal your villain until of you know well they revealed their villain like 3 episodes before the finale uh with agatha but hawkeye you know Kingpin's there, but they don't reveal him until the very end of the next-to-last episode, and he don't actually see him until the final episode. Yeah. As much as I enjoyed Loki, he who remains pops up in the very last episode to be like, here's why I'm important. But I love that. Like I said, it's <laughs> a very pull, good conversation. They pulled I, it off. Be, you know, I loved the, it in Loki. That, that show, and I love that show, it's you know, my number two Marvel Disney Plus show right now. Um, the finale is salvaged by the fact that uh, Jonathan Majors gives a very interesting performance. Mm-hmm. Rescues what could have been like like it's a very exposition heavy episode. Yeah. Uh, that's like oh by yeah. the way I'm this new character that's really important and here's why you know because he gives such an entertaining performance well, and I, you want to see I more of him though. exactly yeah yeah but Hawkeye is a big one for me um, the whole power broker thing in uh, oh, that, one, that one might be the weakest one yeah. I think. But a lot of the Marvel shows have, like, waited until close to the end to reveal who their real villain is. Moon Knight didn't. Moon Knight didn't, and I greatly appreciated that. We knew who we knew who the bad people were from the start. Yeah, and then his whole deal was explained in the second episode. Yeah. Good, yeah. I, I love that show for that. <laughs> but this, you know, they... I think they held on to the secret of her motivation one episode longer than they should have. Yeah. I appreciate that they didn't wait until the final episode to reveal that, oh, by the way, I'm that girl in the temple that you all figured out I was in episode one. Yeah. You know, (laughs) 
and they managed to, even though I had meant I had figured that out, they managed to surprise me with her actual motivation. I and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very interesting way to take the character. I just wish we had found out about that one episode sooner so we could have developed from there to this final episode. And I think this last episode, she's going after Luke in desperation. And we only knew about her motivation long enough to understand it, but not long enough that her desperation really plays as, oh, this is the, you know, the final, like the last thing I can do before I die, you know, basically is <laughs> what it is. And I, and I think if they had developed it for maybe one more episode than they gave us, uh, whether the show should have been longer or if that should have been revealed earlier on, I think that would have helped everything she's doing in this episode feel her because she goes from we find out what she actually wants and then she almost gets it and then she is curb stomped by Vader. Uh oh. to <laughs> then her her desperate, you know, ploy here at the end. And if we had seen a little bit more of that arc, then I think this because this is almost like the denouement of her story, really. And it also has the unfortunate task of having to follow up the Obi-Wan Vader confrontation yeah <laughs> which is by its very nature going to be the high point for yeah. all of us you know yep. so to follow that you, you need to be good and i think it could have used a little bit more time setting that up for it to maybe land better well, especially since we knew luke wasn't gonna die <laughs> right <laughs> so so that tension's already kind of gone uh-huh yeah and you can create tension in other ways mm. And and I think they did that successfully throughout the show, because I was never worried that Leia was going to die, but I was certainly worried about what was going to happen to her, and yeah. well, how was Obi-Wan going to get her out of this mess and all that. Yeah. yeah. And I did feel the tension when she was attacking the homestead and Owen and Beru are fighting back. Yes. You know, so you can make, yeah. you know, you can give it stakes that are beyond, are they going to survive? I didn't feel it much when she was chasing Luke and he like hit his head, though. Yeah, and I almost feel like all that was done just to avoid him seeing a lightsaber. Yeah, because Makes she sense. gets into the room yeah. and he's already halfway out the door. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't look back, so all this goes on without him actually seeing that there's some sort of lightsaber lady chasing him. He also never really sees her, does he? Nope. He's so just running and he for, gets for hurt. All, no, for all he knows, yeah, those were the Tuscan Raiders. They yeah. raided the farm. Yeah, never also, knew any anything Luke, else. Gets knocked out a lot because of Tusken Raiders. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and is saved by Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Back on the moon, Vader notes that Obi-Wan's strength has returned, but the weakness still remains. After exchanging force-throne boulders, Vader successfully buries Obi-Wan under the rocks, saying, Did you truly think that you could defeat me? You have failed, Master. I love this fight. I think it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. All of it was breathtaking and just throws you right back into like you like this is Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it was very yeah. very tense. It was very like Vader was moving quick too. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect to see him moving that fast. I mean, he's fight. in his prime. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought it was cool that Obi-Wan first of all, it was great that he brought back his stance. I was literally going to oh, say yep. yeah. It has um, a name too, but I'm Form not 4. That. Okay, yeah. thank you. I only know this because I Saw someone mention it like two days ago. <laughs> I would not four have known. Four lightsaber stance. I would not have known that otherwise. But he <laughs> That's kept, a whole nother level of nerd. He kept doing this like twirly move with the lightsaber behind his back, like where he'd like turn and twirl yeah, behind him. Like and I was like, 
where have I seen this before? And it's because Anakin uses that twirl a lot in the uh, the prequels. Uh-huh. I just thought that was interesting. And I mean, it makes sense because Obi-Wan trained him. So yeah. Obi-Wan yeah. would have those moves too. People love to hate on the ultimate battle between them in episode three, which I love. Partially because like they are so equally matched mm-hmm. because they are products of each other. Like right. Obi-Wan trains Anakin and in turn learns a little bit from Anakin as well. And in, in little moves like that, we're like, yeah, is that an Obi-Wan move or is that an Anakin move? Or is that Obi-Wan doing an Anakin move mm-hmm. to get like a, like a, a little up on Darth Vader right now? Yeah. All that worked so well, I think. I didn't know people love to hate on that scene because that's... They worked so hard on that scene on the I think it's beautiful choreography it's like, it's so and good. how much they rehearsed it and yeah. all the stuff that goes into making that scene what it is with the music and the costumes and the sets and the Fucking... CGI and the everything. I think it's so good. And yeah, it's you could say like eh, it's a little too much CGI and what is the high ground and people online will have dissected the whole high ground thing like to death. <sighs> But like, because of course they have. But like, you know, this is a this this is a culmination of these very three CG heavy films. Like, it works in that context very well. I think. Like, is it you that someone likes to make fun of the whole the part where they just kind of twirl their lightsabers at each other? Yeah. <laughs> I make fun of it lightheartedly. <laughs> I think it's yeah. great because it's not they are equally frustrated with each other for being mirror images Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're waiting because they as they're doing it they're waiting for an in too yeah and then in context yes out of context it looks really funny that (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair 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 Uh. (laughs) thinking about the high ground and how that all ends with anakin getting toasty i thought it was interesting i forget who like noted this but like I like how in this series, Vader has this serious bone to pick with Obi-Wan, obviously, because Obi-Wan's the one who got him, you know, roasted up. Well, you could say that was Anakin's own fault for that. But how he's trying to, like, do that to Obi-Wan now and, like, make him suffer and make him feel the things Anakin felt, um, like, when he dragged Obi-Wan through the fire in that, what was it, episode two or three? Three, I think. Mm-hmm. But then in this, in this fight, him suffocating Obi-Wan down like under all these rocks. And that's what Anakin slash Vader has been dealing with for the last 10 years is suffocating in this. First of all, he would suffocate if the helmet were taken off and his breathing apparatus yeah. removed. But also he's trapped in this prison of yeah. the Vader suit and helmet. And he wants Obi-Wan to feel that feeling of being trapped i hadn't thought about that yeah that's that's absolutely yeah that i hadn't considered that at all that's really cool because i was going to bring up i've written down here that there is a complaint that like vader walks away and he should have known he's alive it's like no vader absolutely knows he's still alive he wants him to suffer Uh and just Mm -hmm. slowly die there it's exactly the same because if you look at it the way that shot vader has the high ground yeah he's Uh looking down at obi-wan you know buried under these rocks the same way that Obi-Wan looked down at yeah. him being burned alive by the by the magma on uh, on Mustafar. At that point, Obi-Wan turns and walks away. And Vader does the same thing to him. Yeah, but Vader like shit talks him as he walks away. Yeah. <laughs> as he would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because 
he always has to have the last word. That is, he always needs to revel in his victory, yep. which is what we saw in the flashback yeah. of yep. them training. He needs the validation of victory, and he needs to yeah, he needs to embarrass a, everybody. He can't just beat flaw. you. He needs oh, to humiliate you. <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. And mo- 99% of the time, he can. And a lot of times, he can humiliate you in a much more subtle way, too. But Obi-Wan just gets under his skin so much. Yeah. I mean, don't forget, the first time we see Vader, he is choking to death a rebel commander. And after the man is dead... He fucking flings him up against the wall just so that everybody can see how serious he is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't revisionist history. This is, these aren't retcons. This is who the character's always been, yep. you know? Yeah. Love it. <laughs> but Vader didn't kill his former master with the cave-in. Rather, Obi-Wan uses the Force to stop the rocks from crushing him. Fueled by memories of both Luke and Leia and his duty to protect them from the Empire, he repulses them up and away and catches up with Vader. Their lightsaber battle continues. I love that he thinks of Leia and yeah, Luke's in there too, but he thinks of <laughs> Leia and that's like what turns on the light for him, you know, like cause, like he told her about what it feels like to be connected to the force. Yeah. And yeah. that's that she's the light for him that like turned on and that's what like got him to fully realize his connection with the force and his power and everything and to get himself out. I hadn't thought about that either. That is a great little yeah. little well, bit. At this point, he actually does have more of a connection with Leia because he hasn't even actually met Luke yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, all these adventures with Leia, and we had said this talking about earlier episodes, is that he needs a reason to become hopeful again and to yeah. become gung-ho about being a Jedi. And, you know, you and me, Luke, we're going to take down the Empire. We just got to we got to get going. We got to get you out of here and start your training and yada, yada. And... It's great that they use this Leia character. Yeah. It's, by the way, something we talk about, we didn't talk about earlier when we were talking about her. She looks just like a young Carrie Fisher. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She's perfectly cast. Perfect casting girl. in every way. Just amazing. <laughs> but yeah, making her, you know, that bit that is going to bring him back to his former self and bring him back into being like a, a true proper Jedi Master that we then see, you know, 10 years later or whatever. Fantastic. And and yeah, I hadn't thought about what you had said that metaphorically she is the light that he was just talking about to her. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh. Leia, I mean, from the very beginning, and they've really leaned into it with Rogue One and stuff, Leia is all about hope, providing hope. And she knows the power that hope can provide to others. Mm-hmm. And now she's providing it to Obi-Wan here, even, even if she doesn't realize it. And right. I just think it's a really way how when we first see her in the movies she's saying help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope she is his hope in this moment and is what keeps him going yeah oh i got a little bit of spider-man vibes here too (laughs) do i do i like the show more than i did when i got here because i already really liked it a lot (laughs) oh no i mean no seriously though like because some of you are mentioning things that i hadn't thought about and i'm like this is this is better than i than i thought it's deep. Mm. <laughs> Obi-Wan fights with everything he's got, eventually destroying Vader's suit panel and slicing his helmet open with a lightsaber. Defeated, Vader gasps for air with half his face exposed. It's then that Kenobi sees his Padawan's face for the first time in years. Anakin, he calls. Through his damaged vocoder, 
I had to look that up. That's a real thing. Uh, we hear both Hayden Christensen's and James Earl Jones' voices distorted. Vader tells his former master that Anakin is gone. I am what remains. Obi-Wan tells him that he's sorry for what happened in the past, but Vader dismisses it. I am not your failure. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did, he notes, before vowing to destroy Obi-Wan. Realizing that his friend is truly dead, Kenobi tells the broken man before him, goodbye, Darth, and walks away. Through an enraged voice, a weakened Vader calls after Obi-Wan and collapses to his knees, steadying himself against the rocks. There's a lot here. Yeah, yeah. a lot oh. to unpack in this. <laughs> um, just these three or four lines. <laughs> so something I think is so freaking cool, so brilliant. I'm curious whose idea it was, if it was Deborah Chow. And I have to give credit because I didn't come up with this. Um, there's a guy I follow on TikTok, Theories by T, and he does these really great like Easter egg and like kind of background info analyses of all the Marvel content, um, relating them to the comics and Star Wars content that comes out, all of that. Anyway, this scene where after the helmet gets sliced half off and Obi-Wan says, I'm sorry, Anakin, there's like a blue light from Obi-Wan's lightsaber shining on Anakin's exposed face. And he says to Obi-Wan, I am not your failure. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And then the light changes to red on his face. It's his lightsaber shining on him. And then he says, you know, and now I will destroy you or whatever he says there. So you can tell like that part where the blue light was on him. Like that was sort of, I think, the last flicker of Anakin Skywalker coming out and kind of giving... Obi-Wan that closure of like you've been carrying all this guilt with you for 10 years thinking that like you killed me you didn't Vader did like Mm -hmm. and I think that's what gives truly like Obi-Wan the closure to like be able to move on and like complete his arc in this series and become you know whole again and connected with the force again because he's just been living with this guilt for so long thinking he ruined everything he failed he failed anakin he failed all the jedi you know failed everyone in the galaxy and i just think that's really cool the symbolism with using the lighting (laughs) and also made me think of is it megan amram that during the previous administration every day she would tweet today "Today was the day donald Donald trump Trump finally became president and this scene made me think today was the day anakin skywalker finally became darth vader (laughs) because i think that really was the last flicker of anakin and clearly you know like that's how obi-wan feels about it because he closes the book on this guy and says all right goodbye darth and from then on like he's not anakin anymore he's not anakin anymore he only calls him darth from now on like we see it in a new hope you know, and then later in this episode where when the Emperor kind of persuades Darth Vader to not pursue Kenobi anymore, like focus on the Empire, you know, yeah. and what they need to do. He's also kind of a dick to me. He's like, you seem agitated, friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then they play the Imperial theme. And to me, that was the signal of like, today was the day Anakin Skywalker finally became Darth <laughs> Vader was like that moment. And this one with him saying, I killed Anakin Skywalker. No, yeah. I like that a lot, actually. There's two things here that go on my list of explanation not needed, but context like very much appreciated. Mm-hmm. And it's those two things you mentioned that um, 
for one, did we need to know why Alec Guinness refers to Darth Vader as Darth? No, we didn't, <laughs> but it's cool. Yeah. Uh, and there's so much there because he doesn't see him as his friend anymore. He doesn't see him as Anakin. He's not going to refer to him as a name. He's going to refer to him by his title because all he is is a killing machine mm-hmm. Sith lord now yeah so why even bother with names you're 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 just a creature you're just a thing to me now like my friend is actually gone right uh and then number two when he tells you know from a certain point of view when he tells (laughs) luke skywalker like no your dad is dead anakin skywalker was killed by darth vader he is telling the truth yeah Yeah. he is (laughs) you shared that meme it's like it's literally what he told me yeah Yeah. Yeah, because it's one of those things where we all know that the Star Wars trilogy was written kind of as it went. So, yeah, the real reason he calls him Darth is because Darth wasn't a title yet. It was his name. Yeah, (laughs) They hadn't decided he was Anakin Skywalker yet, but it works. You know, the retcons make it work. And this, Mm -hmm. I think, even justifies it even further. Same thing with the certain point of view line. Before this series, you're watching it and it's like Obi-Wan lied to hide this truth from Luke. And now it's like Obi-Wan is telling him the truth because in a way that's how Obi-Wan is coping, first of all. And second of all, it is, he said, literally what Darth (laughs) Vader said. I killed Anakin Skywalker. And why burden Luke with more of that when this is enough for right now? We don't need to overburden that. So it makes a certain point of view not feel like an excuse as much as an apology. I think. Yeah. I'm very excited to rewatch your original trilogy now. Yeah. With this perspective, with these retcons in mind, you know? Yeah. And even uh, like Luke understands the distinction too throughout the original trilogy. And I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like I think he does maintain that separation. Like even when he's talking to Darth Vader, knowing that this guy is his father. Yeah. He doesn't, like, he's not referring to him as his father. He's like, no, my father before me. Yeah, doesn't he have yeah. even have the line that my father's truly dead, which mirrors yeah. what Obi Wan yeah. says? Because like he does have moments, I guess, where like like when Darth Vader's trying to communicate with him through the Force, mm-hmm. Luke, and the father, <laughs> he like kind of wakes yeah. up. But like, yeah, he does come to that realization all over again of like my father's yeah. truly dead at this point. Ben, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. <laughs> <Ben>. <laughs> But Luke is able to reach Anakin in a way that even Obi-Wan couldn't. I'd, going back to the, that whole little conversation, I don't want to disagree with you. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you here. I just want to bring up some other points that, like, because we had a long talk about this in the group chat with my, uh, the people I play D&D with, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where they were like, hey, what did you think of this line? And I, I lean towards the, the interpretation that Anakin is sort of maybe forgiving him. I do think that at the very end, though, you know, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I think that's Anakin. I think the line I did is Vader twisting the knife. I think that there's a bit of a struggle happening there because if you look, you can kind of see him smile before he says, I did. Mm -hmm. And it feels really sinister, Mm. you know. But for me, the line, I am not your failure, that sounds like Anakin maybe taking responsibility because if you remember and you hear this line again in the, in this episode, but in episode part three, when Obi-Wan says, what have you become? And Vader says, I am what you made me. Mm. He is blaming him at this point. Yeah. That's Vader. 
And I think in in this moment, there's just that little bit of Anakin that comes through. I am not your failure. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. And then Vader kind of comes through and full force in a way (laughs) takes over as like the dominant personality in a way. Yeah, I did. And he's happy about it. And that's when Obi-Wan's like, then my friend is truly dead. Goodbye, Darth. And that's and he just how leaves it ends. him there. I think he should have tried to finish the job, maybe. Have you seen the following movies? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's, it's just weird that he didn't try. It's not the Jedi way. It's not. It's, and and that's Jedi not what Obi-Wan would do. <laughs> it's cool, too, that the whole thing about, like, Obi-Wan was only able to remove half the helmet. Mm. Same with Ahsoka and... Rebels. Yeah, she got the other half of the helmet too. Right. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it's nice oh, symmetry. Like the left yeah. side. Uh huh. I just want you guys to see this image. It's a good image. It's just it's so great, and it, it makes Vader's so mask look very like skull like. Yeah. Ugh. I truly believe Darth Vader is one of the greatest character designs of all time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But Obi Wan removes half the helmet and then walks away. But then I think it's cool that. You know, the original trilogy ends with Luke. Re- he's the only one who's able to fully remove the helmet and fully, oh. you know. Except for in Legends, when Starkiller just completely obliterates his helmet. <laughs> we don't talk about Legends. Oh, no, no. <laughs> That's great little symbolism there you yeah, brought up is. about um, each Ahsoka and Obi-Wan maybe half reaching through. Mm-hmm. But then Luke is able to actually his son's take, the one that's able take to take the visage off and really get to the real Anakin Skywalker. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And I have no doubt that's intentional. Like, yeah, but retroactively though, which yeah. is which yeah, is yeah, even yeah. more of a like yeah. kind of mind fuck if you think about it. Hmm. There's so much to like just dissect in this like what thirty second scene. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean. There are people on the internet that say this is poorly written. <laughs> just, <laughs> I Listen, thought this was great. I, I just want to point that out. I was talking with a family member this morning. They said this show was maybe not the best written and that just in general, we didn't really need this show because Revenge of the Sith kind of laid everything out perfectly at the end to then mm-hmm. um, set things up for A New Hope. And I guess where I feel about that is if you're purely only watching the movies, the Skywalker saga movies, not the extra stories in between. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think the end of Revenge of the Sith is a really good setup for A New Hope. And that was its intent. And obviously the original trilogy stands on its own because it did for, (laughs) you know, 30 years or whatever, 20 years. But... As a fan, and I even said to this family member, I said, this phrase is thrown around way too much, but it's true. This show was a love letter to the fans. It truly was. And it was especially for prequel lovers. It was like Mm -hmm. dream come true. And we didn't need it, but we sure as heck enjoyed it. And it just provided a lot of cool emotional backstory and context and and filling in the blanks and you know answering like we've been saying answering questions that we maybe kind of had but they weren't that important to be answered but it's cool we got answers anyway yeah well 
you could argue that we didn't need the Mandalorian or any of that. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're we're hitting the point where all of the new Star Wars content coming out, it does feel like expanded universe content, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. in a very good way. Yeah. Like as somebody that grew up reading a lot of like the like now legend stuff, but a lot of expanded universe like books and comics and the video games, this feels great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like stuff like I love stuff like this. I really do. Well, when this show started, we said that this can't have any character arcs. It has to have character circles because episode three did lay it out perfectly for episode four to pick up. So anything that happens to Obi-Wan Kenobi has to sort of be undone by the end in that, you know, we didn't know that he was depressed. You know, that's (laughs) something new that was shown to us in episode one. Mm -hmm. By episode six, he has to be the same Obi-Wan that we left him with. That we left off with, and then we pick up again, right? We, we kind of left off with the depressed Obi Wan, though. If you really think about depra- it, like at episode three, I mean, <laughs> sure, but like we again, I mean, you're meant to just kind of think that, like, yeah, 19 years happens, he gets over it, you know? Yeah, we're we, seeing him get over it now. No, I'm saying, yeah, but you didn't. <laughs> but to the point is, you don't, you didn't need to see this. No, but it is nice. four. Yeah, I think this does provide a lot of great context. In reference to the actual final duel between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode four, which at the time, obviously, it was the only movie and we didn't really know. Maybe Lucas hadn't figured out what the extent of their backstory would become. But like all the prequels after they had already happened, you go back to that scene. You're like, "Eh, that's a bit lackluster. Like they (laughs) say a couple of lines of dialogue to each other and then one slices the other one and then it's over. And it's like, I really enjoy that this is kind of their thematic confrontation. And that later, it's not as meaningful because Obi-Wan, again, Obi-Wan doesn't really see him as his former Padawan anymore. It's just like, no, you're just this evil thing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I already had my... This isn't their emo- reunion. No, yeah, yeah, I already had my emotional confrontation. I've already buried all that. I've learned to heal from that. My guilt is gone. Mm-hmm. And But this, we were able to explore that here. And that makes me kind of question like, was this actually needed? Like, did we actually did need to see this? And we just didn't know we needed it until it was presented in front of us, you know? It does make me wonder how Obi-Wan felt seeing Luke and Leia, like, together for the first time while he was, like, fighting Vader. And he looks over and sees all of them. And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. I not thought about that. <laughs> oh, am I going to cry? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Speaking the- of crying, yeah, I got a little teary-eyed around these scenes. Uh, yeah. What's great about this is... When, you know, Star Wars A New Hope first came out, the relationship between Obi-Wan and Vader was all basically implied. It was told to you early on, right. uh, my former pupil, Darth Vader, killed your father. And clearly they recognize each other, they know each other. This show is the only time that we have gotten to see Obi-Wan fight Darth Vader as we know Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's the... Incredible and emotional stakes of the Battle of the Heroes in Revenge uh-huh. of the Sith. But here we get to see Obi-Wan confronting the Darth Vader that we all grew up with, with the added context of the prequel stories, and actually having that relationship developed on film and in other stories for us to see. Yeah. This does what my favorite Star Wars stuff does, my favorite new Star Wars stuff blending the prequel stories and the original trilogy anytime that they bridge that gap since obviously we didn't know the prequel stories when the originals were presented to us 
it's up to later stories to link them in ways that feel real. And I, I always go back to the, those Vader comics because they're some of my absolute favorite Star Wars stories. But seeing Darth Vader, a story about Darth Vader right after A New Hope, through the lens of we know the story of Anakin and we know the story of Padme and all of that, and seeing Vader flash back to kissing Padme before they go into the uh, Colosseum of Geonosis mm-hmm. and having these prequel moments inform the Darth Vader character from the originals yeah. is really, really cool. And I'm so glad it fe- almost feels like a gift that we got to see this with Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan mm-hmm. yeah. and with Hayden Christensen slash slash James Earl Jones as Vader, having this all come together. It's just really, you know, I'm, I'm really glad we got it. I remember thinking episode three comes out and you see, you know, the transformation from Anakin to Darth Vader. And then I was like, after this, you go back and rewatch the original trilogy and, and they play completely differently now mm-hmm. because of the prequels and because of the, those stories that hadn't existed yet. But you see a different sadness to Darth Vader and, and yeah. because you know his context and his story and his backstory and oh and that's kind of why I said I, I I'm looking forward to watching the original trilogy with this context in mind because mm-hmm. it might play a little bit differently you know yeah all right that was definitely like the emotional climax of this episode the rest kind of closes yeah. up so I think we should just try to power through because we've been here for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be quiet. Obi-Wan senses Luke is in danger and speeds after the boy in his dropship. On Tatooine, Luke is forced off a rocky ledge by Reva, falls, and lays unconscious. When Reva approaches him to go in for the kill, she sees herself at his age, and memories of Anakin slaughtering younglings in the Jedi Temple come rushing back. With her lightsaber raised, she finds herself now in Anakin's position. And we actually already kind of talked about this scene. Yeah. Somehow. <laughs> um, is there anything anyone wants to add? I <laughs> let's not let this derail into a whole other Last Jedi conversation. Oh boy! <laughs> but this gave me Last Jedi vibes of yep, a little um, bit. Yep. Luke yep. with his lightsaber raised, thinking about ending oh, yep. Ben mm-hmm. Solo <laughs> with the crazed look in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and to say one thing about Luke Skywalker, which is a point I drive home a lot, I have always felt that the entire meaning behind Luke Skywalker, his purpose why he is a hero and why he's a great Jedi is not for any prequel reason. It's not because he followed some sort of dogma or rules or methodology, like, like the old, like all those textbooks. It's because of his choices that he made. He wasn't the best Jedi. He wasn't the most skilled. He wasn't the strongest, but he made the correct choices when faced with the hardest decisions. He wasn't the smartest either. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't the best at anything. He's like but, Harry Potter. It's our choices, yeah. not our abilities. Yeah. That's exactly it. And he prevails for those reasons. Like, he can't do the most flips. Like, he can't. He's not the best with the lightsaber. But presented with the ultimate choice of defeating his father or turning to the dark side, he throws his sword down. And he says, I am not doing that. And mm-hmm. you can kill me. That's fine. But I am a Jedi, like my father before me. And we had mentioned that moment. And this is something here where I, f- I see that like Obi-Wan is still Obi-Wan is a product of, you know, the Jedi Order. And he has still has all these rules. And maybe he's learning to kind of like break off from them a little bit. You know, earlier, you don't have to read it as a criticism. 
but he's you know he does bring up how like i don't know maybe i had a brother i sort of remember one they took us at a young age now we're gonna get a whole story about him yeah well can't wait <laughs> <laughs> and we know from the clone wars that like he resisted uh you know a love yeah because of the because of the jedi order and because jedi of the jedi sucks. way yeah it kind of does <laughs> suck that's kind of the point they're hypocrites right yeah yep and i enjoy that he tells reva and i think that's gonna be in this next part that like like you're fine because you made the right choice like yeah you could have killed him you decided not to you didn't fail anybody and i think all of the other younglings would be proud of you right now right you know that's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Obi-Wan nice. arrives at the Lars farm and sees both Owen and Baru calling after Luke. As she prepares to search for him in the dunes, Reva appears in the distance, returning with the unconscious boy in her arms. She reports to Obi-Wan that she couldn't kill Vader's offspring and as such failed her dead friends. Obi-Wan doesn't see it that way, insisting that she honored them and has given them peace. When Reva asks if she has become Darth Vader, Obi-Wan says no. She has chosen not to. And who she is now is entirely up to her. Reva places her Inquisitor lightsaber in the sand, and Obi-Wan declares them both free. I made a note to say the thing I already said. The other thing uh, is that Tatooine, home of buried lightsabers. I was about to say yeah. something about that. <laughs> There's a lot of lightsabers in the Tatooine uh, desert. You can just dare, you can just walk around with a with a, a metal detector and just dig up t- lightsabers. I'm looking forward to the special edition uh, release of Rise of Skywalker, where Ray's digging to bury lightsabers and she picks up Reva's like, "What's this? <laughs> this is not the one seen I'm a lightsaber for. this curvy before." That'll be episode ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in his Mustafar castle, Vader speaks to Emperor Palpatine through a hologram. Palpatine notes that Lord Vader seems agitated and wonders if thoughts of his old master have left him weakened. Vader insists that Kenobi means nothing and he only serves his new master. Cue Imperial March as Vader sits on his lonely throne. I do like that this is mostly true, but it's a little bit of a lie because in Rebels, I don't think I'm spoiling too much here. Uh, when he finds out Ahsoka's alive, Palpatine says to him, "Is like, oh, this could lead us to other lost Jedi. And Vader goes, like Kenobi. <laughs> and Palpatine's like, yeah, if he's alive. <laughs> you know, Palpatine's like, we're not going to talk about this guy. We're not doing this again. <laughs> no, because it gets him off the rails every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he makes bad decisions. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. That oh, Kenobi idiot. is such a bad influence on you. <laughs> I don't want you two hanging out anymore. <laughs> I and in the scene, I love the "You seem agitated, friend." Like, yeah, I Palpatine. Oh, Ian McDermott is so good. He is so good, <laughs> and I really love some of like the Emperor's dialogue because he doesn't speak straightforward. It's very much like he speaks like a deranged psychopath leader. He who is. will just who will kill anyone who just doesn't appease to him, and right? he's never not manipulating exactly. You. So and, I'm afraid the shields will be quite operational <laughs> when your friends arrive. <laughs> he does this thing. He does that thing that he did in one of the other movies, but in this episode, where he drops into the lower register when he really wants to know he's here. He's like. And then Lord Vader, like he really like gets <laughs> down in his chest with his yeah. voice. Uh, he's very theatrical. Yeah. Yes. Because he's basically threatening him. He's like, you wouldn't be agitated about this, would you? Yeah. Like, you're not weaker. It's like, <laughs> you know, I could kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Through FaceTime. I think we've talked <laughs> We've talked about this, but um, Palpatine or Ian McDermott, George Lucas's original plan was to dub over him. 
in Return of the Jedi. Oh, thank God they didn't. Yeah, I know. no, Angela and I went to see him back at Star Wars Weekends. We keep bringing up Star Wars Weekends, but we saw Ian McDermott there, and you know, they, uh, James Arnold Taylor, uh, the uh-huh. voice of Obi Wan on the on Clone Wars, uh, you know, did a big interview show with him, and they were talking about that and ian mcdermott is like yes you know he told me oh you know it doesn't matter what voice you do because i'm just going to get another actor to voice over you so he worked really hard to create the emperor voice because he did not want to be dubbed over (laughs) and it worked out because then they brought him back for the prequels and and, you know they're still bringing him back to this day he's yeah he's been the emperor like all the way through yeah just the luckiest little casting decision there where they casted a younger man i mean he wasn't he's probably like when his 30s or something like he's uh-huh. not that old he must have been the, or he must be around the same age as like harrison ford maybe a little bit older maybe but yeah. you know they cast a younger man to play an older man mm-hmm. in the original trilogy and then just like we're doing the prequels and now you're the perfect age let's yeah. just use you again uh-huh. that's like, perfect take the makeup off and now you're like oh god like you're the this exact is... age you need to be for this you look like a senator <laughs> yeah like now you're in, kind of in like your 40s and fi- you're in your 50s now like this works out just perfectly like that is just so I, I my mind has always been blown away by that and then obviously he was in Rise of Skywalker well yeah. even his performance in Rise of Skywalker was great yeah I might not, not like the, the storyline they did but every time he opens his mouth I it's smile it's amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I've always been amazed he's not in more things yeah. yeah like he's in stuff I've looked at his IMDB and I'm like I mean you should be like super famous you're a great actor I don't get it I guess he sticks to the stage mostly in the UK yeah. oh yeah huh. He seems like a stage actor, you know? Some yeah. people just... As an actor. Yeah. <laughs> Return to Alderaan, Leia dresses herself with one modification, Tala's holster. Both Queen Breha, didn't know that was her name, and Bail Organa love the new look. And Leia is ready to become a leader, with a few changes, of course. All three are greeted by an arriving Obi-Wan who offers his help to the Organas should they ever need it again. He also comes clean to Leia about not knowing her parents. Princess Leia Organa, you are wise, discerning, kind-hearted. These are qualities that came from your mother, he tells her. But you're also passionate and fearless, forthright. These are gifts from your father. Both were exceptional people who bore an exceptional daughter. (laughs) I could cry, right? I I cried. It seems like Obi-Wan cared a lot more about Padme than he ever let on in any of the other media. I mean, they seem to have worked closely together he went on this whole adventure to fucking save her mm-hmm. in the first place and they made it clear in in several things that he knew about anakin and padme too right yeah, yeah. there is a deleted or not used script from episode three where they have a more serious conversation padme and obi-wan yeah and i, I forget what exactly they talk about but they ended up cu- cutting it and do you know Are no you- i I don't know specifically, but like, there's just so much of her stuff that got cut from that movie. She's barely in that movie. Like, all she does in that movie is be pregnant and sad, and then she dies of heartbreak in the end, and it's just such a... Disservice. Disservice Mm -hmm. to her character, and there was cool stuff she had going on with Mon Mothma and, you know, the the seeds of the rebellion yeah. happening oh, yeah. in the Senate. Yeah. They cut all of that. Seeing some of those deleted scenes. Yeah, they like, on the did DVD. film those because the actress they got from on Mothma is who they've been bringing back. Yeah. yeah. She was in Rogue One. She was, She's yeah. going to be in Andor. Yeah. Oh, she voice on Rebels. Andor. That looks cool. I'm excited, I'm excited about that. For Andor. But that's why I love in this show that 
Obi-Wan has referenced her a couple times now. Yeah. And it's just, it's nice that Padme's getting some, you know, respect put on her name and, and you know, some, <laughs> yeah. even though he doesn't say her name in the show, but, you know, just that she deserves it because she really got the, the short straw mm. in Revenge of the Sith. And I also love that, you know, this was the perfect musical gut punch of let's start playing oh, yeah. Princess Leia's oh, theme yep. when he says Princess Leia Organa. <sighs> oh, my God. And it's just so perfect. Like, she's really... And this was another, just like what I said about Darth Vader finally coming into their own being that character. Mm -hmm. This was her moment of... Because in the beginning of the show, she, you know, let her decoy get dressed and she ran off into the woods and didn't want to do her princess yeah. duties and was sick of being in this monarchy and all of that and now she's like accepting it and she's dressing herself she said she's mm -hmm. gonna bring change you know, she's like yeah. i have some ideas about how this is gonna be done like she and knows like, he's right. so proud <laughs> he's so proud of her and she knows that like she's the future and i love her little like homage with like, first of all, her boots are totally, like, Jedi boots, I feel like. Mm -hmm, and she's yeah. got her little gloves. <laughs> and then the white shift that kind of looks like, you know, her white dress from A New Hope. And just we're seeing, like, everything fall into place for episode four. And so it's so perfect that then at the end she's addressed as Princess Leia Organa. Cue the music. <laughs> At this point, Princess Leia's theme is a cheat code to get me to cry, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ever, ever since Carrie Fisher died, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. You know, that I remember seeing Last Jedi in theaters, and every time I got super emotional, it involved Leia. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? sighs> she had quite a few emotional scenes in that movie anyway, uh -huh. though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the scene with Luke when they finally reunite. That, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> so good. And, it's so good. You know, even showing the... Uh, you know, the help me Obi-Wan Kenobi thing to Luke, which Luke says, that's a cheap move. And I'm sitting here crying going, that was a cheap <laughs> You're move. You're damn right. <laughs> and it worked and I don't care. God. Kenobi wishes he could divulge more, but Leia says he doesn't have to. When asked if she will ever see him again, Kenobi tells her maybe, if she ever needs help from a tired old man. However, no one must know, or that could endanger them both. Leia hugs him goodbye, and Obi-Wan offers these familiar parting words, May the Force be with you. I just have to say, there are a lot of people complaining early on with this show about, oh, this makes her message in New Hope not make any sense. Oh, I feel like they addressed it very well there. It makes yeah. no yeah. one must ever sense. know. It, it really, sense, it yeah. hits different. I even rewatched it when we were like four or five episodes in, just to see how does this play now, even before the show was over. And... The, you know, General Kenobi, you served with my father. That felt like a diplomatic message. Uh -huh. And help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope, felt like the personal message yeah. that she added on in the end because she cares deeply about this man and she mm -hmm. hasn't seen him in nine years. Yeah. You know, it, it works. You know, it's enough plausible deniability in the early, you know, in the early part of it that it's like, yeah, this is a diplomatic message. You served with my father. I I have sent these messages to you. So if it's intercepted, there's not really. I mean, it's ba it's damning enough as it is. Yeah. Here's the plans for the Death Star. Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't really betray their relationship. But then that last bit, 
like it feels personal and it, it hits different now mm-hmm. and it's great and that that's already just one of the most iconic lines in american cinema i think yeah and yeah. they made it better do i do <laughs> i dare say that i would say yeah maybe yeah yeah again it's it's didn't need explanation but it's very welcome context yeah i think mm-hmm. what was like i was gonna add something to that hmm okay yeah. <laughs> You'll think of it later. Yeah, I will. After returning to Tatooine, Obi-Wan is wearing his old Jedi robes while packing up the cave he'd been living in for a decade. Riding in... Yopi. Thank you. Yopi. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to say this. Uh, riding in Yopi to the Lars's farm, the former Jedi master is invited by Owen to finally meet Luke. Hello there, he said to the boy, finally <laughs> gifting him his T-16 Skyhopper model toy. Okay, I like the way they did hello there here, though, because it didn't seem like a meme. Uh-huh. So it was him just giving him a greeting. It is exactly how you'd introduce yourself to a 10-year-old. Yes. As well, an old man. Hello there. Again, like, this went from a very plausible thing someone would say to a lost little droid in the middle of the desert. You see a little animal where it doesn't hello belong. There. You're going to be like, hello there. Like, this is very interesting. What are you doing here, you know? To then it being like... This is, I guess, this is something he says all the time. To then it being a meme uh-huh. by episode three, <laughs> he only says it a couple times. I, I'm at the point where I, I'm wondering I if, yeah, because yeah, he only says it twice in the movie. It's just a meme, and a I meme. feel like Revenge of the Sith. It might not have even been a reference. I think it was <laughs> just Obi Wan being cheeky. I don't know, but, but it's like poetry. It rhymes. It <laughs> <laughs> you know, it got to the point where they. I don't know. Have you all watched the Lego specials? The no, the Lego I, Christmas special involves time travel and it's very strange. Is it canon? Uh, no, uh, it's canon to the <laughs> Lego Legos, stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's Whoa. there's Lego canon and there's regular canon. Okay. All the Obi Wan's meet each other and they're like, "Hello there, hello there, hello there, hello." You know? <laughs> I remember what I was gonna say. Oh, I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is a. This how is, does that work? <laughs> that was incredible. ADHD. That's how that works. Um, this is ADHD in real time. Yes, this show does an amazing job at not breaking the continuity. I'm afraid to say the word canon, basically. Mm, yeah. But there was a lot of moments in this where, where early on, and a lot of the early complaints of it were, you know, they're gonna they're gonna fuck up with the continuity. They're already messing with continuity. Oh no, the Inquisitor's was... dead. Yeah, <laughs> Rebels isn't canon anymore, even though they're making a live action sequel series to it. Yeah, that was people were jumping the gun on that uh-huh <laughs> yeah and then the leia's message whether or not luke knows who he is like all these little things uh, uh the only one that really concerned me was the last time we met i was but the learner and now i am the master that was the only one where i was like well their last confrontation obi-wan needs to have the upper hand he needs to really school him and he does i think he schooled him like twice he done yeah. <laughs> right exactly so much that in that last episode i'm like well is he gonna do it again <laughs> yes he's going to do it uh-huh. again <laughs> so it makes me really happy to see the care that they put into making those things really line up and and the reason i kept on remembering forgetting is because you were talking about how he tells leia for us to be safe for for this shit not to happen again we have to kind of like be careful we have to pretend Mm -hmm. like we don't know each other you know well speaking on the whole continuity thing and like basing continuity off of like one line Dave Filoni made it. You guys might already noticed, but Dave Filoni made it to where Anakin and Grievous never meet. Yes, throughout right, the entire yeah. Clone War series, because of one line in Episode Three. I thought you'd be taller or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
they took that one line. They're like, all right, so these two major characters in the show can never like see each other. That's interesting. And yeah. it works. Having watched Revenge of the Sith very recently, it's pretty clear in that one scene. Oh, Obi-Wan and Grievous have fought each other before. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's also very clear that Grievous is meeting Anakin for the... Ver- he's heard of General Skywalker, but he's never met him before. Mm-hmm. I, I, I forget exactly. Oh, the- he's like, I thought you'd be older. Yeah, and-, and he's like, Grievous, you're shorter than I expected. Yeah. Yep. The negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, General Kenobi. <laughs> also, check off here how uh, Obi Wan and Luke Skywalker know each other. Here's their probably just watched this boy for ten years well, and never met him. I mean, Owen he was, was respecting Owen's wishes. Owen didn't let him. It makes him seem creepy. <laughs> By the way, and we talked about Owen and, and Baru earlier. They're really starting to age into looking like. They're, Why is this casting so good? I, all the yeah. casting is just so spot on, and as time goes, it only proves it. Mm-hmm. Also, wasn't Joel Edgerton like cast in Revenge of the Sith before he really? I mean, he's had a career now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he was cast in Episode Two as like right, kind of right. a young guy. Yeah, he's pretty young. He's like, yeah, my name's Owen. I guess we're brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And now he's actually a name, and they still managed to get him back for the show, which is pretty <laughs> Yeah. By the way, I meant to say this. I looked it up earlier. Ian McDermott, two years younger than Harrison Ford. Oh, oh wow. The Emperor was younger than Han Solo. Yeah. Hmm. You know, the thing, you can't sell handsome short. Yeah. Being handsome does all sorts of things mm-hmm. for you, including not seeing age, because Harrison Ford is very handsome. He's still handsome. He's mm-hmm. still he's still a very handsome man and he's in his mid seventies. Yeah. So late he's I think it's I think he's like Harrison 70. Ford's like seventy seven. Because he was like weirdly old in A New Hope. He like was he, 30. he was yeah. like thirty three and Carrie Fisher was 19. Ian McDermott is 77 years old. Harrison Ford is 79 years old. Holy shit. He's turning 80 in two weeks. Oh my god. July 13th is his birthday. And he's filming Indiana Jones right now. God bless him. (laughs) Wow. Damn. Uh, Anyway. Shortly after, Obi-Wan rides through the desert and sees his master Qui-Gon Jinn as a force ghost. Yay! He's, he was starting uh-huh. to think his old master would never come. So was I. <laughs> yeah, no, literally. A second before, I'm like, I guess he's not in this show after all. And then boom. I was always here, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon tells him. You were just not ready to see. But now that Kenobi is ready, they have a ways to go. I really thought going into this that what they were going to do was a behind-the-back shot of a blue shoulder an archival audio of Liam Neeson saying, Obi-Wan, and that was how it was going to end. Anakin! Mm. Anakin, no! Yeah. yeah. But but no, instead, we got actual new footage of Liam Neeson, yeah. and I was happy. Well, Liam Neeson says yes to everything, so yeah. it'd be weird if he wasn't in this. Well, I did see... <laughs> in the commuter? I don't know what like interview it was, but he was asked about it and he said, obviously I wouldn't want anyone else playing Qui-Gon Jinn <laughs> and I wanted to respect, you know, what George had created and be part of this continuity. I just thought that was neat that he was like, I want to respect what George set up and... And I'm Qui-Gon Jinn. I am yeah. Qui-Gon and <laughs> no mean, one he, else is Qui-Gon. He came back for a couple episodes of Clone Wars. He's coming back for this Tales of the Jedi animated anthology that's coming out to oh, Disney Plus soon. Nice. Yeah. Um, which is going to be about young 
Qui-Gon and young Dooku. Uh, I would love to see more of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very excited about that. Uh, I did see an interview where this was before this aired. The interviewer is like, I know you can't confirm or deny anything about Obi-Wan, so I'm not going to ask about that, which, thank you. Most interviewers are like, let me ask, even though I know you can't answer. So. Right. But he said, but would you be open in the future to coming back as Qui-Gon Jinn? in some kind of project and he's like oh yeah I, i'd be interested and he goes i'd prefer it to be a movie i'm a bit of a snob that way but <laughs> <laughs> i mean tv has come a long way have really, you seen yeah. the movies he's been in yeah. exactly <laughs> <laughs> taken two is there a third one there is i think there is taken. yes there are yep non-stop and- he was in a movie called The Commuter, right? Yes. It's the same shit, but on a... One's on a plane and one's, one's on, on a train. train. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's it's <laughs> wild that Liam Neeson, who is an excellent actor, has done so much stuff that is just very generic and forgettable. Yeah. He's always good at those things, but... But why? then he also did, you know, Schindler's List. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> He's, and Rob he, Roy, I think, was another yeah, one Rob of Roy. ones. Yeah, Rob um, Roy. <laughs> and the one where he fights a wolf. Isn't that one? The Gray. The Gray. Oh, yeah. Uh, that movie was okay. Oh, I didn't see it. But then there was always, release the Kraken. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One, of the, one of those the, Titans movies. The, the was that Clash or Wrath of the Titans? It was one of those. <laughs> but I think you're right. He's a little bit like Christopher Walken, who will take any role. It's like, I'll just, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> he likes to work. Good for him. Yeah. Good for, I mean, it's. I wonder if it's like it's a, a cage job. situation where he has to. Where he was in so much debt. <laughs> <laughs> he just did everything. He's like, all right, yeah, I'll do it because, God, I need a movie. I, I didn't know this because we, we've talked about Nick Cage a lot in this podcast. Or not this one. Uh, films from the Phantom Zone, including the first two episodes. Um, he's still doing that. Like, you look at his filmography the last three years. He's been in like six, seven movies every year you've never heard of. Like directed video? Pretty much, yeah. Directed streaming now? <laughs> I almost said directed DVD, but that's not Direct really to a home thing. media. Yeah. Direct to streaming, it doesn't necessarily. It's weird how that still kind of has a stigma, but also doesn't because there are like the good ones that are direct there's to streaming. There's the good ones, but then there's all the like the trash. Yeah, just there's a lot of trash, yeah. but then there's also like Roma. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. where does that fall? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Back on this topic, um, I love that this was decently long. You know, it was about on par as all the other episodes, uh-huh. but that you know the action ended three quarters of the way through so that we could have several good conclusion scenes. Yes. I like long endings. Yeah. Wrap everything up. Don't leave things to the imagination. I want to see how things like there was a scene, you know, he had a scene with, with Reva and then he had a scene. Then we, we saw Leia. Then we saw uh, this. Then this mm -hmm. is very return of the king when it comes to conclusions. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I loved it. I love Mm -hmm. that. I, I had heard rumors that they re-edited this episode to leave the door open for a season two, and I did not get that vibe from this, which no, made I me happy. No, I feel like they left everything. Maybe he'll I go on another all. adventure yeah. w- with Luke this time. Yeah. I don't want a season two. I, I'm going to be- Episode four I'm gonna season be, two, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yes, yeah. yeah. I'm going to be that guy and say, I am perfectly satisfied with where we left yeah. Obi-Wan here, and what I don't need there? to see more. We're, we're going to watch him training with Qui-Gon. Yeah, the, yeah. The only other good Obi Wan story to tell has already been told in Rebels. Unless season two of Obi Wan's like a trippy, like, oh, we're gonna go Remake inside Rebels. of the Force. <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi two. This time there's Metaclorians. <laughs> Multiverse of oh god, Kenobi. <laughs> 
So I, that was going to bring me to my next point. Do you think there was going to be a season two? There had been obviously rumors. And like you said, like maybe something was re-edited that we just don't necessarily I think, see. I think the, if the money's there, they'll probably do it. Do well, the we money is it? there. I, no. think, I think this is already like one of Disney Plus's biggest releases. To the mm-hmm. to the credit of the decision makers, Deborah Chow and Kathleen Kennedy have both said, if there's a story that it feels right to tell and there's a demand... That's a two-part thing. Mm-hmm. If there's demand, but they can't figure out a story, it sounds like they're not going to do it. And I hope they stick to that. Yeah. If they find a story worth telling, I would love to be surprised. Maybe yeah. season two will start right where Obi-Wan dies in A New Hope, and it's about him becoming one with the Force. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's it's the originals from his perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we see the whole trench run, and he's like... Luke. <laughs> no, and it's now. a struggle of him trying to finally reach Luke. <laughs> Qui-Gon's like, you're not trying hard enough. I wish you just turn off his damn computer. <laughs> so that's pretty much it, guys. What do you think overall thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, we've actually, I mean, we've been pretty clear, I think. But on how we feel. Yeah. yeah. Let's wrap it up, though. Final thoughts, I guess. This, if you want to go around the room. This was that's pretty good. an amazing... Star Wars series. Definitely some of the best Star Wars that I've seen outside of the movies so far. Yeah. Although there's certain parts of Mandalorian that are really high up there. Mm-hmm. But something about seeing Ewan back and Hayden Christensen back. Yeah. And Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. And just like seeing them come back to reprise these roles. And James Earl Jones. James mm-hmm. Earl Jones. Or a computer like, AI <laughs> of James Earl Jones. <laughs> but coming back and like putting such passion into it, like yeah. it's just nothing like it right now and i love that yeah i i agree i as much as i've really enjoyed you know the new season of clone wars that came out a couple years ago and mandalorian has been incredible and book of boba fett was great um though admittedly my favorite episodes of that were the ones that were essentially the mandalorian those were really good episodes. Um, <laughs> but i have not felt this much like pure star wars joy in a very long time like this yeah, I feel that. more than any of those projects i just mentioned again as great as they were and are this was like definitely it cut right through to my you know prequel loving heart and it was just so much fun like does it have some flaws yes any piece of art is gonna have flaws and Sure. Is there stuff that would have been cool to see? Yeah. You know, like, I was wondering, like, a lot of Clone Wars fans, like, are we going to get a hint at Satine? Like, yeah. and all of, you know, that uh, backstory. Or are we going to get more flashback scenes with him and Anakin? Or is Natalie Portman going to show up somehow out of nowhere? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't sure how much they were going to do, but I'm glad that they didn't pander too much in that way that they they were very focused on the story they wanted to tell and not just like here's all the things that all the tiktokers are telling you you're gonna see like mm-hmm. i'm glad that they didn't go that route of just complete and utter fan service like in the most tacky way that it was actually it was still this show was a lot of fan service but it was like really well done <laughs> fan service like in the form of a well told story and absolutely just revisiting these characters that we love and the actors that we love i feel pretty confident that this is my favorite live action star wars series i 
to think about a little bit because I, I really do love the Mandalorian a lot, but I feel as much as I have always been a guy that says, Oh, I'd love to see, you know, unexplored bits of the star Wars universe because I do, (laughs) I love that. And that's one of the things I love about, uh, especially season one of the Mandalorian, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot of interesting corners of that universe that haven't quite been explored yet. That being said, I, can very easily be suckered into being like oh my gosh they're doing the thing from the movie (laughs) it's that guy i know and i like him there's something about classic star wars yeah you know it's like you put darth vader in there and i am hooked you know and and ewan mcgregor was always one of the best two or three things about the prequels Mm -hmm. so getting him to come back was just pure delight you know and i would even go so far as to say that i and like maybe 50% confident that this particular episode is my favorite episode of live action Star Wars TV. There are maybe a couple Mandalorian episodes that might come close. And I think they really pulled off something that was trickier than it looked and could have been a disaster if it had gone wrong. Mm. And I appreciate there was clearly a lot of thought and care put into not only telling a good story, but telling a good story that fits with everything that we know from the other stories that we have already been told and illuminates that in those stories in a way that I think is really great. It just, uh, it doesn't detract from what we've already heard. And if anything, it, it actually does enhance it in some ways uh, that I really appreciate. Also, I just want to add one more thing. You had asked me in the beginning, like, what was it like growing up as a Star Wars fan when at a time when girls weren't really considered to be the intended audience, or at least that's what people thought. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was Star Wars is for boys or whatever. And I just love that this show was helmed by a woman, Deborah Chow, and she did a fantastic job. And I can't wait to see what else she does after this. And I love that they got Natalie Holt as the composer for the show because she did an incredible job on Loki. Her score on that had a huge impact on, you know, all the the fans watching. And so it was just so exciting to hear that she was going to do this show. And I think she did a great job interweaving, you know, themes that we know and love from John Williams and the the Obi-Wan theme that he created while also, you know, obviously composing her own score throughout and making it feel like star wars but also feel a little different um and it and it did sort of feel like her what we've heard from her and um just having like a more female creative team behind the scenes and having a cool female villain introduced with a really yeah. compelling mm-hmm. backstory i really like moses ingram um she yeah. was She's good. fantastic and someone we know he said on, I think, Twitter or somewhere, I thought this was a cool idea. He was like, I'd like to see a show where Reva uh, decides she's going to find the Force-sensitive children and, like, you know, but, like, in a good way. Like, like bring them to safety. <laughs> and she kills them. And, and, down. <laughs> but, like, that she, like, somehow meets up with Cal Kestis from <laughs> Jedi Fallen Order and they, like, team up on this. They make good allies, yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 I was like, Someone that's a- told me that. Was it you? What? Or you. One of y'all said that. 
that Riva and Cal Kestis could meet up. Oh, I mean, I brought this up in some. I can't forget where, but I I did say that I the I Fallen Order sequel is supposed to take place around the same time I as think, this show. I think, yeah, so like at the same time. Oh yeah, yeah okay. You know, it was because Brady was, was yeah, like because Brady was like, oh, I think they're just setting up for something in the future, and I was like, I don't think that's what they were doing. That being said, I could totally see her being in the Fallen Order sequel. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So anyway, I just love that aspect of the creative process and uh, the making of this show yeah. and how far Star Wars has come in 45 years. Don't forget, Star Wars was kind of saved at the end by, uh, oh shit, what's her name? It was George Lucas' wife at the time. Marsha Marth- Lucas. Uh, Marsha yeah, Lucas, Marcia. yes. Yes. Who, who ended up uh, re-editing like, the entire trench run sequence. And mm-hmm. made it so fucking cool. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she wasn't supposed to be working on that movie and George is like, can you help? Because we have to get this done now. Yeah, she was working on a Scorsese movie. Right. And he was like, can I borrow my wife? <laughs> help me. Help me, Marsha Lucas. You're my only hope. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So it's my turn. Sorry. You know, I love this show. I thought it's it, it is definitely up there with some of my favorite Star Wars things. It's making Obi-Wan. It's making a case for my favorite Star Wars character. And I think it made me think about Luke Skywalker a lot in that like, a lot of things in the Disney era has given so much more Luke content that makes you kind of maybe understand the character a little bit more between The Last Jedi and his appearances in like TV shows. Plus, obviously, there's been all the you know new Marvel comics and stuff. This has been such a nice kind of deep dive into Obi-Wan Kenobi, the character, and to all the people that have said stupid things like, oh, there's no Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's not about Obi-Wan Kenobi. No, you're dumb. This is this is definitely a show about Obi Wan Kenobi, yep. and God forbid there are other characters in the show, mm-hmm. especially like you know an antagonist and a character that serves as you know as as a as a tool for his character and also sort of a bit of a MacGuffin. Like, yeah, that's just normal film. Sorry, your brain can't handle more than one story arc at a time. I guess, yeah. 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 But it, it is such a great delve into his guilt. And his uh, absolves uh, absolution absolution. Thank you. <laughs> Been here for a minute. Oh uh, yeah, absolution of like w- of yeah of what he feels. It's what I keep on going back to. It's something I did not need. Now that it's put in front of me, I would never want to live without it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like th- this has been a whole lot of fun. It is my favorite Star Wars TV show because although Mandalorian is amazing. This is hitting all those beats. Like these are the char- these are the main characters. And as much as I agree with you, as much as I would love to be like, let's step away from these main characters. This universe is enormous. Let's and the timeline is so long. Mm-hmm. We could go into all these different places. It feels so good to do these characters again. Bring them like bring them back out, dust them off, but then do them right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and really do it respectfully. And that is just so welcome for me because I'm I'm with you guys. Like this is so there's nostalgia and there's this feeling of like I know these characters, but I didn't know the story. Uh, and that obviously like things like Mandalorian, they don't have that other than like Ahsoka comes shows up and Luke Skywalker shows up and yada yada. But this is a more important story than Mandalorian, you know, within the context of Star Wars. And I appreciate and I love that. I, yeah, so I'm gonna say this is, and I don't like ranking things, but like. This has really been my favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> Star Wars related in a long time. So last question, as is tradition on this podcast, was Mephisto in this at all? <laughs> or did we waste our time? I wouldn't call it a waste of time. 
because... But this is a search for Mephisto, Berta. <laughs> Maybe Mephisto is the friends we made along the way. Okay, thank you. Well, then. <laughs> but no, he wasn't in here. No, nah, well. Mephisto was on social media this whole time. Mephisto oh. was on Reddit. Oh. Mephisto was on TikTok. Mephisto was on Twitter complaining about canon, yeah. complaining about a black woman yeah. daring to be in this TV show. How uh, dare she? Oh, my God. I, I just want to... <laughs> I'm going to rant just a little bit about uh, how people reacted to Reva. How they're like, oh, Disney very clearly is just pushing their agenda with this character. They're really trying to make her, you know, more important than Darth Vader. How is she tricking Vader? She's more powerful. And then episode five comes along and Vader's like, I knew exactly what you were up to. I played you the entire time. This guy's still alive. Let me beat you in this fight without my lightsaber. You're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's like, okay, if you were worried they were making her too important, too special, there's your rebuttal. Not that that should have ever been a concern of yours in the first place, yeah. but no, they were never going to usurp Darth Vader. I saw, let me tell you the stupidest thing I saw. <laughs> After the Grand Inquisitor was revealed to be alive. Round head and all. Um, <laughs> they, uh, I saw a comment, and I forget where it was. it was. Oh, I did something stupid, and I went on Twitter, and I searched Grand Inquisitor Canon. Why? Because I wanted to know. I don't even go on Twitter anymore, but I was like, I need to, I need to know what's happening. And I saw someone replying to a tweet, and what they said was like, Clearly, Disney shot the death scene and then realized what happened and made this up quickly to make up for it. Yes, clearly. Well, <laughs> that is so fucking stupid. They just cannot, they cannot fathom Disney putting any thought into their stories because they didn't like. Do they not you know, understand that Leia it's still flying Lucas or something? Film? Yeah. It, it's like. I I've, I have such an issue with, you know, everyone's complaining about Kathleen Kennedy this. She ruined this. She ruined that. And then they act like Dave Filoni and John Favreau sneaking their TV shows out while she's not looking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> she's approving them. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, yeah, she's so bad. She keeps hiring Dave Filoni. It <laughs> <sighs> sounds like a smart move on her part. Yeah. You know, it's she keeps like... keeps on giving him more work and, like, promoting him. Yeah. yeah. You know, I... Has Star Wars been perfect while she's been in charge of Lucasfilm? No. Was it perfect while George was in charge of Lucasfilm? <laughs> no. No. People you forget know. that. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with the, the person who produced E.T. and Jurassic Park and Schindler's List and Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones and, <laughs> and Star Wars and Star Wars and Star Wars. And, you know, it's like, okay, she's got a track record. You might not agree with everything that's being put out, but you can't act like she's ruining everything she's been a part when of since they're still the putting out things yeah. that you are liking, yeah. too. It's like, you know, they're like, oh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni are the only people that understand. If only they could replace Kathleen Kennedy. And it's like, well, they can't because, you know, she keeps hiring them to do these jobs. You know, it's like, what? come on. They're doing what they're doing because of her. And you don't want Filoni running a studio because he doesn't want to be running an entire movie studio. He, he wants, wants to, to be creative. Yeah. You know? He's the creative one. And yeah. He's yeah. the Star Wars protege. Like, let him do yeah. what he's great at. Yep. Favreau's a great creative, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I love that we're getting stuff from other people now as well. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. You know, I know Filoni was credited, uh, you know, with a special thanks in this because I'm sure they consulted with him a little bit because probably yeah. he is in many ways kind of the you know he's the closest link 
to George Lucas maybe left besides Kathleen Kennedy herself. What about uh, Pablo Hidalgo? Oh, yeah, he's... Pablo Hidalgo. He, I mean, he's credited because he's still the head of the story group. Yeah. Mm. You know, so the story group is there to, you know, kind of keep things in uh, in line as well. You know, so it's a big collaboration. Yeah. But I do like that, you know, we're getting projects that are headed by other people. Yeah. Now, too, which is yes. good. You know, because one of the strengths of the Star Wars universe, the galaxy there, uh, that, that whole setting is that it is so many things and there are so many genres contained within and so many stories. We want to bring in as many different people as we can because if this Star Wars thing isn't for you, maybe this other thing will be. I, I still want a Rogue Squadron Top Gun movie. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see if that happens. Yeah. I mean, we kind of got that with Top Gun Maverick. but <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for finding Mephisto and the horrible people on the internet, by the way. <laughs> That is so we've he is solved out it. there. We know he's out there. Yeah. I hadn't considered he'd be in the real world though. Ooh. That's that's how he gets you. That's a whole other wrinkle. Uh-huh. Hey, it really Mephisto's is. a tricky one, you know? He's a trickster. I was going to try to implement a new segment at the end of Wars Mephisto that I'm I'm abandoning now because we've been here for three hours. <laughs> um and, and so maybe next time y'all come on. Um and next week we do this when we are wrapping up individual episodes of Miss Marvel is to uh, kind of just go and say, like, where we're looking for Mephisto elsewhere. You know, oh, just kind of... We did a whole up. episode on that. Because we did, yeah, and that was fun. Like, we did a... <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't know why. I'm just bringing that up for in the future, so look forward right. to that. All right. But thank you, guys. Uh, that's pretty much it. That's definitely it. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. You know where to find us on our Discord server, our Patreon chat. Thank you to our guests, Chris and his wife, Angela. Probably the most fun Star Wars couple to talk to. Um, so thank you guys both so much for coming Shucks. here. Yay, we win. All right. <laughs> Suck at every other Star Wars couple. I think you're the only one ones. I know, actually. So <laughs> like, I know yeah. people who like, I, I, like I'm like trying to think Star of Wars, Star but... Wars couples now. And I, I like, can't mm. think of anybody that's like as into Star Wars, though. They, yeah. they were introduced uh, at their wedding reception to the... Uh, Oh, what's it called? Oh, the, the throne room. room. Yeah, we walked. Yeah, the, we walked into the reception to the throne room music. That's, that's a good piece. That was and pretty we, fun. Yeah. We like directed the DAs like, okay, so you need to drag out the introductions so that we walk in right as the horns come in. You know, the ba 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 ba. You know, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, and we will see you guys next week with Miss Marvel. Probably we'll do all three episodes that we've missed. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Real time planning. And goodbye. Bye. Bye. Adios.